0: Welcome back to the Paddlemore Podcast. Um, this week we're on episode 17 and we're chatting with Jamie and Kyle who are, um, I guess they're two up-and-coming coaches and paddlers based um, and
1: Yeah, both, both of them have been, uh, I think they've been kind of coming onto the scene for a few years and they're, they're both paddling whitewater pretty hard um, and their coaching careers have kind of taken a bit of a, I wouldn't say a hit, but they've definitely taken a bit of a different angle um, to what they'd envisaged them taking thanks to the pandemic. And it's, it was quite cool chatting to them about how they were kind of entering the outdoor industry and entering the, the coaching pathway um, in paddling during what is essentially a global lockdown.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Really cool to chat to them and get an impression of their passion that they have for the sport. And uh, really exciting to see where they start to go over the next few years. But let's uh, get into the episode and hear from them. How are we doing? Not bad. Yourself? Pretty
1: good. Yeah. Can't complain other than the hail today. You guys been out in the water today?
2: We were at Park and Play at Pinkston, just an hour
3: or
1: so. That must have been proper cold down at Pinkston today.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right, actually, I was in shorts and a cag all day.
2: Yeah, he's braver than me.
1: Cool, if we could just kick off uh, in in whatever order, Uh, just a quick introduction, who you are, where you paddle, what you like to do in a boat, and all that sort of stuff.
3: So, hi guys, my name's Kyle. Um, I am currently in Glasgow. Uh, but for the past six months of the academic term I've been living in Fort William and um, so I've been out a lot kayaking. Uh, my main water sports I'd say is definitely kayaking, that's the one I love the most uh, but I've, I do a lot, I coach a lot, uh, so I coach um, kayaking, I coach canoeing, stand-up paddle boarding and I'm also a leader in the kayaks and the canoes as well. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm i I'm a big grade five paddler. I've I'm, I'm a, probably a grade comfortable in grade three and four uh, water, but I have ran my fair share of grade fives and some unsuccessful, some pretty well.
2: <laughs> Sweet, and so I'm kind of like Kyle, but just less in most ways. So do the same kayaking, just not as well. Do the same coaching, just not as well. But I like sups a bit more, just because it's. It's a bit different, it's a bit new, it's fun that way. And if I'm on the water, just I it's more about staying upright than having a good time. Obviously having a good time if I'm upright. What
1: about you based at the moment, Jamie?
2: So unlike Kyle, after I left college, I didn't want to go to uni right away. Well, obviously the pandemic's changed that now, but I just wanted to stay in Glasgow, so that's where I've been for pretty much the past year, living at home. <laughs> It's got its ups and downs. But. So,
1: Carl, is that the course through UHI that you're doing up there?
3: Yeah, so, yeah, with UHI, um, unfortunately, obviously, due to the pandemic and things, it's, it's been a bit rubbish because I've been stuck inside. It's meant to be a quite a practical-based course and taking us out into the hills and things and doing a lot of work out there. But uh, moved up there and I've not left the flat up there for the full, full term. It's all been online. Even even practical, you can kinda what they uh, what they do is they can book on to practical kinda lessons uh, where they take you out and they maybe do your two star or you'll go and do your canoe leader or something. But um even then they weren't allowed to go ahead that often. There was a brief period where they did and a lot of people booked on to them, but then they all get cancelled because we went into like the third or the five hundredth lockdown. Whatever <laughs> one that was, yeah.
0: So obviously you both did the college course at Glasgow Kelvin, didn't you? And then what was the appeal, Kyle, to going and doing outdoor stuff at uni and and compared to just becoming a ski bum and, and a paddling bum and just cruising around the world?
3: Initially, that was what I was going to do. So I left college with not the intention of going to university. And then I realised after that kind of gap year, oh, wait... There's not that much to do. Like, obviously, there is, but where I was in that point in time, I didn't really want to go away myself and go away to New Zealand by myself. And I'd rather go with someone. So I kind of I stayed in Scotland and there wasn't too much work for me. I kind of just slummed about and tagged along with the college again for another year when they went out to like Spain and things like that. I don't know if you've listened before, you've heard me talking about all this before. But, um, yeah, so I kind of realised after that, I was like, oh, wait, OK, let's let's get it out of the way. Let's get that piece of paper that says I can get a degree and then there's a nice fallback plan if my outdoor career kind of falls down the drain. Fingers crossed it doesn't, though. Fingers crossed.
0: Um, Jamie, you've taken a different approach, haven't you? Because you, you're doing
2: open uni stuff as opposed to doing a, an actual outdoor, outdoor degree. I was in the year below Kyle, so I finished after he'd kind of done that he said his gap year and my plan was originally to go to New Zealand by myself because during during our college course we've got to do a season away so I went down to the south of England made some amazing friends two of them happened to be from New Zealand so my plan was finish this college course go and do a summer season and then jet off to New Zealand and go and have the most amazing time ever but that never got to happen so it's kind of I'm halfway through the summer at this point, and I don't I've come to terms with the fact that nothing is gonna happen in the next year, which clearly it's not, we're all still here. So I start looking online, I'm like, right, outdoors probably has a lifespan for everyone. So I was thinking, what might I do one day? Thinking kind of, will I be a physio? I generally had no idea. So I start looking on the open university, and then all of a sudden I find like these biology courses one year so I'm thinking about doing that then I discover that there's a sports fitness and coaching course it's just it's very vague just that's that's the whole title of it sports fitness and coaching it might not be in that order I'm not I don't even know what I'm doing studying well I was able to transfer kind of credits from my college course over into that uni course gets me halfway through the year halfway through second year so now I've got a year and a half to go get a degree and it's not like I'm really doing anything else. So I probably would have gone to Fort William if I knew about the pandemic earlier, but it was kind of a last minute, let's just let's just see what I can actually do with the next two years rather than just nothing really.
1: Just because we've mentioned the Fort William degree a few times, if you could just give us a quick rundown, either of you, kind of a quick rundown for people that don't know what the, what the degree is through UHI, that'd be. That'd
3: be wicked. Yeah, so with UHI, uh, so they've, they've got loads of different campuses. Uh, I think, they, I believe there's one in Inverness, there's one in Fort William, and I think there's one maybe Perth. I might be wrong saying that, but um, yeah, so the one that I go to is in Fort William, and you can choose between three different courses. There's the Adventure Education course, there's the Performance Coaching course, and there's the Adventure Tourism course. Um, I chose to go on to the adventure education one because I felt it was a bit more broad uh, and you get more out of it rather than if you went on to the tourism one that more sets you up to work for a company like maybe the likes of PGL, these kind of big corporate companies. Uh, the coaching, the performance coaching one kind of trains you up on your coaching. Like I'm already qualified as a coach so do I really need to want to be like an Olympic slalom coach? I, don't think so. Uh, so the adventure education, when I felt best, is me and what I kind of want to see myself doing in the future. Because it's all to do with uh, one of the main the main modules in the course is adventure therapy, and it's that's quite a big upcoming discipline. But do you know what I mean? I can't think of the right word anyway. It's, it's quite
1: an it's quite a, a developing kind of part yeah. of the outdoors, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of that adventure
3: therapy is really coming coming into its own. Yeah. And it's like, it teaches you all about how we can use the outdoors as a, as almost like a doctor surgery rather than going to a doctor uh, or going to a therapist. Um, So yeah, I really interested me in how I can use that within my coaching as well.
1: So both kind of, I guess, similar-ish degrees, kind of different in their own way um, in terms of of what they're focusing on, but how do you think they're kind of impacting you and, and Where you guys are at in your in your outdoor career, I guess, is is relatively early, but relatively qualified for for the position you're at relatively experienced for the for the years that you that you have um, in terms of kind of whitewater paddling and and a fair amount of kind of coaching and and interaction with some some pretty high level uh, paddlers and coaches and stuff. Is it kind of working for you, kind of balancing doing those degrees against kind of reflecting on what you're doing on the water and kind of coaching wise or is it kind of a a separate entity at the moment and kind of something to come back to in the future?
2: I think that the thing with the kind of paddling industry is that you can get into it not through the college course. I know that most of the people I know, most of the people I've worked with have come up through various courses if it's in England or the one at Glasgow Kelvin but you can just go to, say, The Lodge and go and get booked on courses. Just go and work your way up yourself. I found that the college gave you an absolutely brilliant first pedestal. So it really gave you that easy access, because when I started, I obviously didn't know much about the industry. So they take you through it really well. And now going on to uni is less based on benefiting my paddling journey, but more about just where I'll be later on in life. It's not like I can actually do much on the water right now anyway, coaching wise. Things are starting up again. But throughout the winter it was pretty pretty bleak within the, the coaching world for me personally.
3: Yeah, I kinda agree with Jamie there in the sense that the way that the academic year kind of works is paddling is definitely more of a or it becomes more popular in the, the summer months. So it's quite good that we're doing all this learning and um, education through the kind of winter months and then we, we leave for the kind of summer break and we can use what we've learned there and then but then uniform me is more of a it's more if I then go on to maybe teaching or something like that later in life when my, when my body starts to fail um, so it's that kind of safety net almost for me the degree it's just that piece of paper really it just says yeah you can do it if you need to it's,
1: it's really interesting it's really kind of it's it's always a bizarre concept hearing guys. So I'm guessing, how old are you guys? Kind of uh, 19, 20?
2: 20? I could go
1: with 20. No, I'm 23. <laughs> 23, all right. But like relative, yeah, relatively young um, compared to Grant. Um, it's really interesting hearing guys who are kind of in their <laughs> yeah. like in their early 20s who are super active already kind of making plans for an industry which is going to cause your body to fail. It seems like a really alien concept that that's just kind of accepted in the outdoors that there's there's this... I'll, I'll reach a point where my body will tell me that I need to get a job that's in an office or teaching or doing this. Um, have you ever seen it as a long-term career? Or is that the only kind of inhibitor that you really see to being on the water full-time? It's kind of that, you know, I'm going to hit 40 and my body's going to start falling apart and I'm going to have to get out of the boat.
3: Yeah, I, d- I definitely do see it as a long-term career. not Not in the sense of the physical aspect of it. I think the physical, uh, like coaching or leading on, big white water or something like that that would definitely start to disappear as you get older but you can always have that aspect of being outdoors there so maybe while you're young or young and fit you're you're doing the big big water but as you get older you the more knowledge you've learned and then you're gonna take that into your coaching maybe the flat water or taking it out on forest walks and things like that or even starting your own business and then be that man that or it sits at the top of the, the thing and just kind of plays with the pawns and tells people what to do. You know
2: what I mean? Yeah, well, so we we both, me and Kyle both work with Grant at Pinkston and we have to go and lift boats and uh, doing all the usual stuff. I don't know if I've actually ever seen Grant lift a boat, so he's probably got to <laughs> that point where he...
0: Yeah, you work smart, just... not hard, mate. Work smart, not hard.
2: There you go. Oh, neither. So... <laughs> <laughs> But I don't think it's as much as we're planning to break our bodies one day but rather the kind of in entering the industry is very it's not a managerial role where you would be you've not got that knowledge yet so the hope is that one day we kind of move up still staying active but probably not the kind of workhorsey stuff that you would when you're just starting in the industry.
0: It's fairly obvious it's physical industry isn't it from, from the outside but I think there's People don't necessarily appreciate how physical it is um it's that thing of like obviously the three of us all work at pinkston together and you know the client sees us running sessions on a basin or on an artificial white water course and they see us lugging boats around and all the rest of it but i guess the bit that a lot of clients don't see is the the hours of of physical activity that goes alongside with that in order to to be at the level to be able to take those people out on that tiny little basin or in that tiny concrete line ditch. Part of it is about trying to prepare ourselves for the future isn't it and not break, as you say, not not plan to break yourself but, but have have a backup plan in mind.
1: It's it's an interesting thing because so I, I, I came through one of the college courses that you were chatting about earlier, um, Jamie, um, down in the south of England, and I know when I was at college, we did that kind of vague, this is strength and conditioning. This is roughly how your body works thing. Um, but I don't know if your course was different or, or any of the angles anyone's coming through here, but there's no kind of, uh, it's just accepted. It's like, yep, this industry will smash your body to pieces. There's never like a, this is strength and conditioning. This is how your body works because you need to start looking at protecting yourself early. You need to start kind of looking after your body when you're 20 and looking at how you move boats and kind of, things like get the clients to move the boats, get get people to help out, so you're not lifting a whole rack of um, you know, where Grant and I used to work together, we would regularly have to load trailers of kind of 10 canoes on our own. And it's like you do that twice a day and suddenly you're you're shot. But there's no real impetus at the uh at the entry level to the to the outdoor industry for people to start protecting themselves early, I don't think.
2: Suppose it's just we don't have that well, we don't know if it's gonna affect us negatively yet. So we're just kind of kind of winging it almost. It one day it might break, one day it might not. But until then we don't really know.
3: I um, I always get my mum, she's a she's a dance teacher um or a dance lecturer, she was. Um and I always get into trouble and I get off, into trouble off of Jamie as well. And because I can't touch my toes. I'm horrendously bad at like my flexibility is awful. And yeah, they they're always saying, Oh, you need to fix that because before you know it, you'll be gubbed. I mean, so um, Jamie likes to run his yoga sessions and things like that. Um, and it's just me like dying on the floor as he's pushing me into the floor and things like that. <laughs> but, yeah.
2: When he says yoga sessions, they're they're not actual yoga sessions, it's on his living room floor. Just <laughs> after a couple of beers. He's
3: he's making this sound quite
2: sinister. 5'10, he's actually six foot. <laughs> so, he's like, yeah. so much.
3: Right, I, I've got really bad, really bad posture um slouch really badly. I blame it for a paddler Jackson, so that's why I cleaned it on. I'm always <laughs> relaxed sitting back and things. <laughs> that's changed now. That's changed now. I've changed boats. So
1: <laughs> is it that the Jackson outfit is really comfortable or is it just that those stupid little bits of string have given away and your has fallen backwards?
3: <laughs> well, I, I will stand by those little bits of string because they have they have put me through so much. A year of paddling I I, I paddle like a Jackson antics basically, and um, not anymore. I get rid of it now, but I say I get rid of. It, I've still got. It, I've just got a new boat. But um,
2: No, yeah, new, so, new boats plural.
3: Yeah, new boats. I just but I've got a really bad habit, right? A really really awful habit. It's not awful. It's great, but I've got I now got a collection of about I think it's seven boats now, seven boats, and I'm picking up one on Monday evening. So nine hour this time. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. Oh, it was the Jack. It was the Jackson we were talking about, All right, So those back bands, I stand by them. But yeah, they are they are comfy. It's just so easy. You sit in it and then oh, pull it forward, or even when. So my girlfriend Taylor, she's tiny, and the difference in height between me and her is huge. But then she can jump in it and outfitted it within three seconds. See, for if you had the bulk of them, you're doing coaching sessions with them, it'd be great because you've got the kids in it, or that, and then the next session might be adults, and the adults are in it, and then it's outfitted within a couple of seconds. But yeah, they have, it has failed on me once, um, and that was on the Roy, and then not the Roy, sorry, the Loy, which is just beside the, the River Archaic in Fort William. Um, and then that was a bit of a scary moment because the, the walk was pretty high. And yeah, it was in the middle of I come down the rapid and hit a hole upside down. Oh no, no back bend, come back up. And then it's a really fast moving river as well. So I'm having to run the rest of the river uh, with no back because you can't get to the <laughs> site. It's covered in trees, overhanging branches, and things. So that was a bit of a, an OS moment. But yeah, good.
1: <laughs> I think every boat has its. Uh has its flaws really doesn't it every manufacturer has its issues um i remember grant picked up a brand new everest once and uh his his bolts must have rattled loose in transit or something because he went over in the middle of serpent's tail on the d and there was just a huge crunch that came from his boat and everyone thought he would just battered himself off the ground and his seat had come loose and he was just rolling backwards and forwards in his seat while it was while he was trying to roll back up
3: <laughs> it's not the one uh, actually i caught call- the, the time it did snap on me, I, I caught it on camera as well. It's on, um, it's on my YouTube as well. So.
1: Little, little plug there for your YouTube channel. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, this seems like a good juncture to take it into talking about paddling then. Um, and then kind of what got you, uh, we'll kind of come back to it slightly more at the end for the what got you in at the entry level but what was it about paddling at college that kind of made you want to kind of um, delve into the white water side of it what was it about that that aspect that you kind of thought yeah that's what i'm going to go with that's what i'm hooked on
2: so the college for me you kind of sorry, okay you you jump into it and you, you quickly find out that it's heavily heavily paddle orientated we probably only went climbing once we went skiing a couple of times but the vast majority of it is on the water pinks and learn how to kayak, learn how to coach that. And then you probably get to the point where you're like flat water just seems a bit, a bit iffy. And that's probably when you start to start to want to go get onto white water, because that's where you, you start to find the excitement. And then suppose that's why we keep progressing, because eventually grade two seems easy, then grade three seems easy. Then you're throwing yourself off waterfalls one day. Not yet.
3: Yeah, so for, for me, it was, I didn't really see, uh, so I, I left school, and what I'd done in school was very creative in the sense that I'd done art and design, design and manufacturing, and all that sort of stuff. So I left school and went into graphic design. And in college, when I was doing the graphic design, I was sitting at a computer, 9 to 5 every day, and I was like, nah, this is, this is not for me. I need to go here and then I found the college course and um, got onto that and then yeah the flat water was fun but it was also sitting on my bum <laughs> nine to five just paddling that flat water you know what I mean in a straight line round in circles blah 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 and then when I eventually got to the stage where I got into the, the white water course at Pinkston and then that sense of adrenaline I think that really got me hooked and then the college took us out to sort in the Pyrenees in Spain and then that was where it really started to go this is this is fun let's keep going and then it was just a case of going out with with people and get coached and things like that because I've not really actually received any white water coaching because the college yeah they do is they take us out and things like that The, the, the Spain trip is probably the only time they really took us out and done proper white water coaching. Apart from that, it was just more down to who you know or who you go boating with and down to yourself.
0: I'm guessing both of you are in that that situation where you've not received a huge amount of coaching on the river and are fairly self-taught um, in terms of that more advanced environment that you are, are starting to play more and more in. So what what's your strategy been for getting better in those environments? Or do you have a strategy? Is it just chuck yourself at it and hope for the best? Or, or have you used kind of... You know, found a found a strategy that works for you to help you progress through that 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 technical challenge that exists.
3: Yeah, so for me, what I tend to do is kind of throw myself in the deep end. So um, I've always my skill. What I've worked out is my skills always there, and I know that I've got a skill. It's more about a it's like a mental game. It's all about your confidence. Um. So that's the main thing that I've found, and then also paddling with people that are better than you. So uh, going up to Fort William, I've rapidly increased my paddling capabilities like hugely. I've um, my friend Rhys Thompson and Sam Clegg. They've they're really good boaters, and they they've um, their parents. Well, Sam Clegg's parent, uh, his dad, he's quite a good boater, so he's been obviously brought up voting <laughs> you're saying maybe not going not to do that much of a shout out <laughs> but, um, but yeah so he, he's been doing it for a long time and then getting out with them watching them and obviously they're paddling these bigger rivers scarier rivers and then I'm following them down it and realising oh actually you know what I can actually do this and that's giving me that bit of confidence and then meeting more people that are even better like I say even better, but on a similar level, uh, that have done more experience, like boy um, called Scotty, I've uh, been parling once with Robert Egerton. I'm sure everyone's seen their, seen his videos and what he's up to, crazy stuff. But um yeah, it was, it was great to watch him, Pad. I think watching them and getting to know them and listening to what they've been through and their experiences really helps you and what you can then do to improve you.
2: I'm kind of. Not exactly the same scale because I like to know a bit more about the the why or the, the why I actually need to do this to, to make it work. But I guess after you're taught the basics, it was just more like, here's a YouTube video of this guy doing something. You're like, oh, he's lifted his edge there. Maybe I should try that. And then you fall in, you swim a couple times, then the only thing you probably actually... I was actually sat down and taught and kind of repeatedly thingy was rolling because it's not just you don't just chuck yourself upside down and then one day magically come back the right way up so I think it's just a mixture of like Kyle said watching other people kayak I think it's a really good community for that especially when you're doing a lot of kayaking at Pinkston so me and Kyle were on the white water course either today and what you've got today was a pretty quiet day but there's still about 10 of us on there some of them better some of them worse but getting to watch them seeing what everyone else does it not only teaches you that little bit but it also kind of inspires slash motivates you Mm -hmm. if i see someone do something cool you're like Ah, yeah maybe i could maybe i could do that one day and then you it gives you a new thing to work towards
1: yeah there's a there's a huge amount of that kind of aspiration side of it isn't it and it's it's being around those people as well and it's I think the social element of paddling is, is enormous and it's kind of who you paddle with and what they want to do and, and something about that stoke level, uh, you know, the likes of, um, of Sam and of Scotty and of, of that sort of crew, they're just stoked to be out on the water. It just kind of gets you pretty amped up and gets you really excited to be there. Um, that mental side of it, you kind of, I think you're both talking about that kind of, you've got to kind of get a little bit in the zone and um, a little bit of that, like if you push yourself to the edge, you know that your skills are going to be there. And do you think that's an element of you've gained those skills through the time that you've spent on the flat water and just kind of having loads of time on the water, or do you think those skills are are kind of developing as you as you push yourself through those harder situations, and it's all just a bit of luck that's got you through it?
3: Yeah, I I think you can. I think all your skills are learned on the flat. I think that's where you learn everything, and then the more you do on the moving water and the better you become you start to notice those skills and how they actually work and see them working. Because I remember what do we call that hanging drawer when you've got it out in front of you. And I remember in college and them teaching us about that and doing that in the flat water. And I'm like, he's like, oh yeah, that's cool. That's working. And I'm sitting there like, I don't even know what I'm actually doing. But then take that to a moving water environment and you're you're sitting there doing it and you're seeing it work now where I can see it work mm-hmm. so I think yeah you definitely learn most of your skills in the flat and then you progress them as you, you go on
2: I think then to go back to what you were saying Moose, about when you're actually at your limits that's the point where you actually kind of don't know because you can never you can sit there on the on the course or somewhere you're comfortable in your environments and go yeah if there was a massive massive hole I could probably go through it but until you actually have to go and push your limits to the very max, you never 100% know if they're there. You just got to... There's that element of, I think, you hope, but well, that's only the limit limits.
0: We're just going to interrupt the episode to remind you to buy our book at um, 15 dollars and it's available in all good bookshops. Um, it's also available three days a week in person. If you're in the Glasgow area, you can pop down to Pinkston Watersport. You can buy it in person, which is quite exciting. If you've never, never met us before, you can come and talk nonsense to us and buy a book.
1: I haven't really got a lot to add to that, to be honest. Buy the book or break your legs.
0: <laughs> right then, back
1: to the episode. <laughs> kind of interesting there's a lot of a lot of chat about flat water i think i think whitewater paddlers generally kind of when we think of flat water we do think of where we kind of came from which is you do your first few sessions on somewhere like pinkson's basin or on a small pond and in a lot of whitewater paddlers mind you're like oh flat water that's pretty dull you just go around in circles you see the same thing um have you guys done much Flat water in terms of like touring or sea or expedition type paddling as well, or have you kind of stuck to stuck to your single day rivers and stuck to your camps?
0: I'm laughing because I know that Jamie gets teasick <laughs> <laughs> I
2: have really horrible seasickness. Like Kyle mentioned earlier, his girlfriend Taylor. We met because uh, we were in Villanova with the college. I'm being sick over one side of the kayak, and just so that I don't accidentally. Fall over because I'm pretty new to kayaking. Taylor's holding the other side of my boat because after five minutes on the sea, it just starts to go downhill.
3: Yeah, I'm similar to Jamie. I've with the college, we we put us through the three star sea kayak qualification, so we get that. Don't know if Jamie did get that because you know he it was.
2: Is. I've got no idea how I got it because I've only been on the water for about ten minutes on <laughs> the actual sea.
3: But yeah, I'm the sea. I don't know. There's just something about the sea with me where it it freaks me out in the sense that you're looking at enough, like you're obviously you're looking at the sea, but you're looking towards nothing. There's no land whatsoever. That that's always just kind of freaked me out. And then especially the fact you you don't know how deep it is. You don't know what's underneath you. Yes, you could Water. say. Yeah, you could say that about river as well. You don't know what's underneath you, but there's nothing that's going to eat you. Put it that way.
1: Yeah, it's quite, it's quite an interesting concept, actually, that is a lot of whitewater, padd- I've, I've met a lot of whitewater paddlers who have that kind of healthy respect, which kind of just about steps over into slight fear of the sea, and a lot of sea paddlers who have that of white water. and it's, it's, I've often wondered whether it's kind of that, do you go into paddling that environment because you're just kind of more comfortable in it, or are you more comfortable in it because you spend more time paddling in that environment? And is it kind of the alienness of the sea that kind of makes us think, oh, it's massive. There's nothing for miles. And actually, if we spent more time, on it would, apart from you know Jamie, would we probably go, oh, this is actually all right. But rivers have that kind of predictable nature about them as well, don't they? So barring any huge floods, you can sit and look at a rapid, and it will do the same thing from ten o'clock in the morning till ten o'clock at
3: night. I've been to um, uh, well, actually, I don't. Am I even allowed to talk about it? Because apparently you're. I've been to the falls a lot, basically, and apparently there's this big thing around it. You're not allowed to talk about it and things like that. I don't really understand it. But People yes. know it exists.
1: Don't worry. Yeah. So um, only a small pocket of paddlers in Fort William seem to think it's a secret.
3: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I met a guy. So I was taking photos at it, and I met a guy there. I don't know who it was. But, well, I do, but I can't remember his name. And he was like, "Oh, you can't take photos here," and I'm like what are you talking about <laughs> He's like there's this the first rule of the Falls law you not know, like to take photos and I was like are you kidding that sounds a bit cultish to me and then after I said that you like you took a he took a wee step back <laughs> but yeah so that I've never seen anything just how you're talking about rapids, you can sit and look at it all day mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that it's obviously tidal and it's just surging all the time and creating holes and then disappearing and then creating a big wave and then and then waves and so on and big surf waves and beautiful amazing to paddle also very scary because there's massive whirlpools and things like that on it but um yeah it's, it's it's pretty if you've if no one's if you've not seen it before when you first see it or first paddle it you're like whoa this is this is like something i've never paddled before
1: uh the falls of laura for anyone that doesn't know it's a bit like the Menai straits in wales um you're not allowed to go there unless you're local. <laughs> no, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a tidal estuary. It's where Loch Etive flows out um, under the bridge. I can't remember the name of Grom. I know this. Scene. It's the Connell Bridge.
0: And it's Connell well bridge. scary. Like, I don't like it. Like, it proper it proper scares me, the, the Falls of Laura. It's, a, it's all about what you're comfortable with, isn't it? I don't mind paddling on the sea, but the Falls of Laura, I think, is well scary. Yeah,
3: I don't know if you've seen it recently. Um, A boy called Ewan Campbell. And he's surfing in one of the waves there, and a seal jumps out of the water and lands on his on his kayak. That personally, that would freak me out. Like I, I was sitting there, and they are very curious animals, and they were coming up to the, the kayaks and kind of popping their head up and looking at us and things. But being surfing on a wave, knowing what's behind me, and then a seal jumping on top of me—no thanks, <laughs> I'm passing on that one.
1: Yeah, it's it's second to the uh, to the guy down off the coast. When he was out sea, like, and I think off the coast of Anglesey, who had the the seal sling an octopus at his face.
2: You don't get that on rivers. You may get the, kids and <laughs> jump out of it, but more of the fishermen yeah. that you've got to worry about.
1: Yeah, they're not so bad. Up, not so bad since I moved north of the border.
2: But you do quite a bit of
0: sup, don't you, Jamie? I realise we've spoken loads about our white water in background, but you, you're you're into your sup, but you're you're mostly doing that on the river. You're trying to. Develop white water up in a wee bit, aren't you?
2: Well, yeah. It's, it's like we were chatting about with kayaks, how you go through the flat water to progression. I think a lot of suppers are, they find it because it's really accessible, you can deflate it, chuck it in your bag, walk or chuck it in the car, take it to the <laughs> loch and then that's how they the other fun. That obviously was really fun because I did like my parasports sports instructor on the sup. I've just done various amounts of coaching sessions. Then actually taking a sup on white water creates this whole new challenge. So the way you would look at a rapid in a kayak, you'd be like, oh, that's just a, a nice simple wave train and then a wee eddy line at the end is now a couple of massive waves that you've now got to go over standing up on a board that you're not attached to with a really long awkward paddle. But I think that creates a lot of fun on any river. So sometimes not every river is accessible. You can grab your sup, take it on. Even if you take it down the spay, you probably have a much better time than if you're on a kayak.
1: I find something very similar in that I'm usually separate to it and following it down while in the water. <laughs> so what sort of what sort of places have you been going to with your sup? Have you been kind of... How, how's the progression going
2: on that? I don't actually own my own sup. I just kind of found people that did. <laughs> uh, there was a East Coast paddle co. They did a, a thing over in at Tully or... It was at Stanley, actually, and it was just an intro to white water supping. And from there, I realised, actually, this is really, really good fun. And then I've, I was on the Gary one day, we were sitting at Surf's Up, and a girl comes down on a sup, I think her name was Jess, and I was like, you can sup the Gary, because you'd obviously never think that. And I got a shot there, and I think the fact that it's just, it's new to everyone, you don't go, oh, yeah, you can just do that on a sup. People are like, can you do that on a sup? I think I'd quite like to get to the point where I can go, oh, yeah, I'm going to try and do that, try and do these new things that other people may not have. You get first descents, a first descent on a sup. You need to
1: spend is- more time chatting to Scotty Robinson. That boy has supped most of the grade fives in Scot- in kind of central Scotland. Um, so he went through a phase of either paddling everything in a necky jive or supping it. So he supped the whole of the... I think the whole of the phallic, certainly the falls of phallic. Um, he supped stuff like the middle orc. He's he supped, I think, bits of the nevis. Um, right just...
2: There you go. Now I've got something to aspire to be.
1: That aspiration will make him so I happy.
2: I think the other reason I quite like sup is that, you know, when you try someone on a kayak and then you get it wrong and you're now underwater, with your head underwater, in an enclosed cockpit, it's not always been the most appealing thing to me. It's... But on a SUP, you're you're off, you're on. It's just a case of swimming back to your board or pulling your leash in, and then it kind of eliminates that fear of drowning, which I'm not a whole big fan of. There
3: was one, there was one time that I was out river topping. I was with Jamie and Jess. He was talking about, and I, I, it was great fun. However, I didn't like the fact that when you fall off, you're falling from quite a height. So if the river's quite shallow, you're probably more likely to injure yourself than if you were sitting in a kayak. So yeah. But it was great fun.
1: How have you guys been paddling through lockdown? Like obviously without kind of opening yourself to any kind of criminal proceedings. Um, how have you guys been getting on with getting on the water while you've been trapped wherever you've been?
3: First lockdown, that was that was pretty pretty hellish. So the way I done it, you can watch it on my YouTube. <laughs> it's not on the YouTube actually, it's on the Facebook. But um I actually built myself a pool so we were getting loads of work done um on our roof at the house and the builders they left a um a load of pallets and I thought I was looking at it and I was like I could build myself something cool here. So I, I, I built myself a square with the pallets and then got a big tarpaulin in and put the turf pollen in it, filled it up with water created a little platform that I could kind of still launch off of and into the water. So that was, that's how I got through the first one. And then obviously travel restrictions um, kind of eased. still. I'll let Jamie tell you about this story, but we went up to, up to um, River Tay at Stanley. Um, and that was a great deal. I'll, I'll let Jamie tell you about that one.
2: Right, so after the first lockdown, we were so eager to get out in the water, but the kind of restrictions eased just as it was coming to summer. We're like, right, we just need to go anywhere. So like, where else has water? The Tay, usually. There was, It was the lowest I've ever seen the Tay. So we go in, fanny out in some eddy lines. There's basically a couple ripples on the way down. And because we're doing really good social distancing at the time, we didn't want to get in the same car as each other, so we hadn't done a shuttle. Both cars were up at the top of the river. And we'd never have walked from the get out at Wee Eric up to the top of Stanley. So we didn't know which way back the roads. We'd driven it. So we probably could have gone that way. But we're like, why don't we just follow the river up? And it was so low, we just started walking back up Stanley, all the way through the water, just wading, because there was that little water. But that was one of the best days I think I've ever got paddling, just because it was so, uh, how would you say it? We've just been thinking about that day for so long. It'd been a goal to finally get back out in the water. So even though there was just a couple ripples, it just made it one of the best days paddling ever.
3: Yeah, so what we've done in Fort William was taking the bike uh, up with us and sticking that in the back of the car with the kayaks, obviously, and on the roof, and then just cycling the shuttle. It was quite good in the sense you, um, more exercise as well, wasn't it? A bit more cardio rather than sitting on your bum. (laughs) So, yeah, it was another... Elect- or just walking
2: <laughs> it on your bum when you're on a bike, Kyle.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. you are going for it, though, with those with the papers, aren't you? But you've had some
1: pretty good water up near Fort William recently,
3: haven't you? Were you up there for, for all of that? Because the West was wet for... Oh, yeah. It seemed like ages. Yeah, it got some really good days up. Um, there was one, one day we managed to squeeze in five rivers. Uh, five rivers in the one day. We got the, the Loy... The archaic, the Spin, the Upper Spin, and the Fast Fernan. Um, so that was a five in that one day. That was quite. Uh, that would have been just before Christmas that happened, and then recently, we had a whole of the water, but probably for me, my paddling skillly anyway, probably a wee bit too much water. Um, I've seen videos of people going to the Arkeig things like that, and it was just huge. Uh, but the spin and upper spin when that is on you're talking six pipes and spill and things like that so what I mean by that is it's um, the spin is a dammed river and it's got these big pipes that stick out and then they can release water from the dam down into the river so two pipes it's maybe a grade grade two you're talking um, and then with the more pipes you get the kind of higher the grade the more consequence and then but it, all it becomes is a big massive wave train all the way down. And it's just great fun. And like I was saying, I was paddling with Robert and uh, Sam on this, this particular day. And it's just kick flip after kick flip after kick flip. And I'm paddling behind them, just barely making it over the top of the wave, watching them kick flip and kick flip. And I'm just like, oh, one day, one day.
1: <laughs> it's quite cool seeing the amount of people now that have kind of taken whitewater water paddling to a point where not only are you paddling these rivers, but you're kind of you're, you, know, the downstream rodeo, the downstream freestyle moves have kind of come back in, and it's like people are people are actually back to having fun on the river because there was about ten years I reckon where, and yeah, this is showing the fact that we're both pushing thirty. But there were about ten years bef- between like everyone was in playboats, um, you know, the, the, the Jackson playboats were out, and like the the wave sport playboats were massive over here, and everyone was in them like really playing all the time and then creek boats came over and everyone was suddenly in a mamba or a nomad or just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I think for a while paddling became this quite serious thing and it became a bit not quite boring but a bit all about how you know how dry headed you could make the river how how smooth you could style the drops it's quite cool that we're kind of taking that back to a bit of a middle ground with these kind of half slice boats that you can you can throw those downstream tricks but you can still you know, in the same boat, you can still hit these huge lines and these these massive features.
3: Yeah, I, I have got far too many <laughs> half-sliced boats. Um, I've got the, obviously, I've got the antics. Uh, my girlfriend Taylor's got a ripper, a small ripper. And what a boat that the ripper is, honestly, for uh, its stern squirts and things and tailies, unbelievable. Once that is up, it just wants to keep going and going and going and going and going. So I was debating myself because I wanted something a wee bit bigger than the antics, something that I can use for river running, plus still have that fun factor of playing. And then waka they just brought out the new Wacker GOAT, yeah, the wee GOAT. Uh, so I was like, oh, this is definitely the boat for me. So I've, I went and purchased that. And yes, what a, an amazing boat that is. And I've used it a few times. Obviously, when all that water came up, I managed to get my hands on it there in Fort William. And paddle it then, um, but it's just for me personally. It's lacking that playability that the Ripper had. the The We Go is definitely more of a. It's more of a river run. It's got that massive bow rocker, which every whacker has, and it just skips really nicely. And it does definitely, compared to the Stees, definitely just stay up compared to the Ripper. But yeah. So yeah, but it's it's just great having that that playability in the back end, having that slicey thing where you can dip it under. It creates almost, it brings that slalom element of paddling together, and you can do some slalom moves in the white water. And it also gets you out a lot of trouble as well in holes and things if that back end dips. It can kind of shoot you out rather than a big back end where it grabs you and sucks you back in.
0: <laughs> you I think the real that indication mate, that we are approaching thirty is you just used. To- the term "downstream rodeo." <laughs> sure. I'll take
1: "downstream rodeo." You've plugged LinkedIn more times in this podcast than is socially acceptable.
0: Yeah, I'm get, we're going for it. We're going for the <laughs> LinkedIn sponsorship. <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of, what first inspired you to to get in a boat? What first made you want to go paddling?
2: Uh, well, I've got this really specific memory where it all kind of came from it was on holidays a little as a kid we would go to these activity centers and everywhere you go as a kid you're always really influenced by these people but I've never gone anywhere I've never seen anyone who was all so happy at what they were doing every all the instructors just looked like they were having the most amazing time and probably a little 12, 13 year thirteen-year-olds me was just looking at these guys going they, they're they doing something right I don't, I don't know what it is yet but they're having a good time, they're with their mates and they're doing what they love so then it always came a thing like I want to do something exactly like this it wasn't for ages I actually realised oh I can go and pursue this career and that just kind of led me into where I am today, just seeing these people have an amazing time back at this one activity center that I just happened to go to as a kid. So um, thanks, mom and dad, for taking me there on holiday and not taking us abroad. But it all it all became worth it in the end.
3: Yeah, for me, it's actually very similar to Jamie. It's, I had an experience at Castle Semple over at uh, Lochwinnoch, and it was we were just out kayaking. It was a kind of water sports day with the school, and I had this instructor. Yeah, I believe his name was maybe Callum and you could just tell he was loving himself. I was really enjoying myself and that's what really got me into the outdoors. I've always been an outdoor kid. I mean, ever since I was like five dressed as Tarzan, running about the garden, climbing trees and things like that. Um, but yeah, but then obviously I was good at the more um, electronic stuff and creativity and art and design and things um but it wasn't really until I'd left school and realized no I can't sit in front of a computer that's Mm -hmm. when it really all clicked and was like yeah do you know what I can do this too I can be in the outdoors and work
1: (laughs) that's quite interesting did you both so both of you kind of looked at it as a as a career choice before you necessarily looked at paddling as a as a personal hobby so it's really I I think unusual maybe unusual for people to take it up as a as a career rather than recreation. Did you go into college with aspirations of coming out as a paddler, or did you go into college with aspirations of coming out working in the
2: outdoor industry? For me, it was more a general all-rounded, I can go and work anywhere and do anything. Paddling just became that thing, more specifically. I kind of went into it going, oh yeah, being a ski instructor during the winter would be cool, but we didn't do much of that. Being a climbing instructor would be pretty cool because a bit of a change. But we also didn't do much of that. It was a very paddling-focused thing, which wasn't a bad thing. because It turned out to be one of the things that I love most.
1: And did you love it most because it was the main thing you did?
2: Probably, actually. Maybe if you find <laughs> if I actually try one of the other ones, I might find that I like it a little bit more. But I'm too invested now.
3: <laughs> yeah. Again, I didn't. I went into it thinking more about work. I didn't have a love for paddling. I enjoyed it from what I'd done, but I didn't really. I didn't start paddling until I started the college course. It was more that kind of wanting to travel, not really knowing how I can do it. Let us just do something a bit adventurous and something out there. And then now I've just fallen in love with paddling. But yeah, like I say, there wasn't very much skiing or um, snowboarding, so. Or even climbing, so I could fall in love with that those sports as well if I really invested into the time into them.
1: Yeah, it's it's always an interesting one in the outdoors. I think everyone, by and large, when you go through those college courses, you end up in a bit pigeonholed, and it's kind of that that interesting one of do you do you love paddling? Uh, this is not necessarily specific to you guys, but generally, do you love paddling because um, that's what you want to do, or do you do it because that's what you were kind of pushed into, and that just become became kind of your what you naturally what you naturally take to. Um, it's it's an interesting one of college courses, but it does seem that with a college course that predominantly does paddling, you do end up with a lot of really passionate paddlers and a lot of really, really good paddlers coming out of it. I guess there's just that risk of kind of alienating people if they if they aren't paddlers or kind of pushing people into one sport. But that's all right.
0: The question might might be quite difficult for you, Kale. Um what is your favorite ever bit of kit then boys
3: i'm going to go uh, I, i'm going to go with my boy and said so i um i've got a limited edition Tap Boyne said that was designed by a guy called uh, his instagram name i think is inkwaterline i, think it, I can't i think it maybe his real name maybe marcus something but um you can't actually buy it in uk uh, because it's different um what's the word here it's different like specs like so yeah. it's uh, verified by the coast guard in america and then over here it's different i've got a an auntie that lives out in america and she managed i was messaging her and saying listen can you buy me this because it looks awesome and then can you send me over she was like yeah that's absolutely fine so I managed to get my hands on one. So who knows how many there is in the UK. I could be the only one or there could be like 500, but I don't know. But I like to think I'm the only one with that Boeing suit, which is probably why it's my favourite bit of kit.
2: What about you, Jimmy? Um, I have thought about this because obviously every time I watch the podcast, you kind of, you answer the question yourself. And I always debate between a couple of things. But the one I've got to go for is my shorty cag with sleeves. So I picked up on eBay and it was cheap as it's sort of dry, not not 100% dry. And I wore it for ages, getting a bit cold because my arms were out. And then I found out Peak do this. It's just a wetsuit arm that's been cut off, but it gets pretty much warmer than a normal cag. So I've worn it while there's been ice schools on the river in my shorty with sleeves, and it just did me for a while because I didn't have any other kit. Uh, I've still got it around. I'm looking forward to wear it this summer. So, just say, the sleeves. Just the sleeves and, and a and head.
1: The and sleeves combo for when the water is a bit chilly on your forearms.
2: <laughs> one. I was really pleased
0: because I genuinely thought you were going to see your sliders for a minute and thought, oh. oh, yes, he's not said he's sliders. He's given us a decent thing. And then you went for it. <laughs> shorty cag with
1: sleeves. What's your most embarrassing uh, story from the river? What's the most embarrassing moment while you've been
2: on the water? So I, I've got one that almost relates to Kyle's boy and Seed story in a way. So as, I think I just started second year and I found out that Astral came out with this brand new limited edition uh, boy seed with design, designed with annual Sarasosis. And I was like, that's so cool, having a, a designed buoyancy. So I was like, right, it's going to be a bit more expensive than the regular one. So I, was, I clicked buy anyway, because didn't, didn't know what I was doing on money at the time. And yeah, so I'm already paid about, I'm about 300 quid in. And then I get a letter saying, oh, you've got to pay import tax. So then I'm another 80 odd quid in. So I'm now up here close to 400 pounds for a buoyancy aid, but I'm buzzing because it, it looks amazing, and then the first time I put it on, so it, it came out right after old did his Cobra flip for the first time off the waterfall, so the back of the buoyancy aid is designed with a waterfall running down the middle and a pool at the bottom, which, as was pointed out the first time I ever wore it, that it looked a bit like a dick. Now, i'm walking around this buoyancy that i paid about 380 pounds for and every time people like to remind me you know you've got a penis on your back <laughs> yes i'm very aware of that
3: it's a very expensive penis
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> With pride
3: um for me it wasn't i can't really think of an embarrassing moment i've had i had very many embarrassing moments but not really any on the river or on the water but one that I'm thinking of that isn't, wasn't embarrassing at the time, but probably is a wee bit embarrassing now, is the very first time I ever sat uh, in a kayak at the college course. It was the kind of induction day. And we were like, okay, spray decks, okay, so we put them on. And so I put the spray deck on, and obviously you've got the toggle. Obviously, you want to have that outside your spray deck, don't you? <laughs> Just in case you need to pull that for whatever reason. No, little novice Kyle puts his free on but has that toggle tucked under. Mm-hmm. He flips himself upside down unintentionally and realizes, oh, I can't get out here. And I'm probably under the water for close to close to a minute, maybe, a, maybe over in a minute. And no idea how to get myself out, but no one's, no one's noticed either, which was probably the biggest thing. Eventually, yeah, yeah. That's just, there we go. Glasgow Kelvin College. Well done, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I bring my knee out uh, and then I just I, I hit my knee on top of the deck and then managed to get myself out. But then here I am still and still love the sport. So, So, yeah, it wasn't embarrassing at the time, but it's embarrassing to think of now when I'm thinking, why did I ever make that mistake? But I guess I'll never make that mistake again. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: Really, that's more embarrassing for the college lecturers that didn't know if the drowning head <laughs> in the basin. But we'll, we'll pretend that that didn't happen.
1: That's part the selection process, I understand.
0: <laughs> for, the, for the lecturers, so it to be yeah.
1: yeah, we've obviously spoken
0: about all the all the wicked things about boating, but what for you guys is the least favorite thing about boating?
3: Probably the 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 danger aspect of it. Anything can go wrong at any point in time, and when you're ever put in say you're the rescuer or the rescue so as being the rescuer there's a lot of pressure on you making the right decisions um and the those decisions might be a life or death situation and you might not make the right ones under the pressure so obviously you can go through a lot of training and things but down to there and then i guess it's just all you can do is do your best for that way um can do as much training as you can but when you're actually there in that situation you don't know what will actually happen that's what I don't like about it because I want everyone to be safe and enjoy themselves but you just never know the fear of unknown probably is probably the the biggest fear I'm
2: a bit different to Kyle I just don't like wet kit
3: why do you want a shorty gag with me reading arms
2: then it's it's not the point where you're wearing it as wet it's you leave the river, you pop a bunch of wet stuff in a bag. You've then got to take that bag out the car, hang it up, let it dry. There's something that doesn't dry, and then you've got to put wet kit on again. That's just the worst part about kayaking.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of faff, isn't there, when it comes to kayaking? A lot of faff.
2: I just wish someone could invent a bag that when you put your stuff in it, the next time you took the stuff out the bag, it was dry.
1: They have, it's big and it's white. It's called a
2: tumble dryer. <laughs> Portable one would be ideal. <laughs> I
1: think that is the point where most people buy a dry suit, isn't it? You're just like, you know what? Yeah. It's at least the inside, unless it's made by Palm, at least the inside is going to be dry next time I put it on.
3: Until you rip your your recently bought £1,000 dry suit. That's
0: why you should never buy a £1,000 dry suit. There you go. <laughs> at
3: least I look good on well, am bad okay.
1: <laughs> So what would be your what would be your bucket list destination for paddling? Um, countries, rivers, particular places, who you, who would you go with um, kind of as detailed or as vague as, as you want it to be really? For
3: me, I have always looked ever since watching Lord of the Rings as a kid and knowing that that was filmed in New Zealand, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand and then obviously now you've seeing the rivers that are out there, they look amazing, the crystal clear water, the waterfalls, the whole bang. I've I've been in a real fortunate position where the, with the college and um, I've unfortunately Jamie never got it with the end of year trip. I got to go out to Slovenia, uh, the River Soka and paddling out there. Um at that point in time I wasn't I was an all right paddler. I wasn't amazing. I could get myself down the river all right, but I'd love to go back out there and run the full thing with a half slice and have some fun and be scared constantly on that river. Um, and then watching the senders like Dane and Bren and um, things like that and out in Zambezi, I'd love to be able to go out there and feel comfortable to paddle a river like that. don't know if anyone can ever feel comfortable paddling that, but... Be at the level where, yeah, let's go and do that. It'd be pretty
2: awesome. And then, so back at the start of this this little chat where I said I didn't go to uni because I wanted to go to New Zealand, uh, back when I worked for PGL, I made some amazing friends that live out there. And it's, so it's less about going and hitting these amazing rivers, but rather than going out and paddling with Alex and Darren. Hi, if you're watching. I'll make sure they watch now. But
1: it's, you, you do understand the podcasts are a listening platform, don't you?
2: Yeah. They could subscribe to the Patreon and watch the video there. Plug for you guys. <sighs> but it's so for me it's less about where I paddle, but more just paddling with people that I've not been able to see for the past year because of the current circumstances and whatnot.
1: It's it's a it's a really interesting point with going abroad and paddling in other countries that dynamic you go to these other countries because they've got world-class rivers but also you go to these other countries because you want to see the place and actually some of the coolest kind of international paddling that I've done is on the lower grade rivers because it's so you can actually see the places that you're paddling through and you can have a look around and you get to see these kind of these awesome views that you don't normally see and you get to interact with the locals that are using the river kind of on their day-to-day life and yeah you get the balance of that is kind of pushing the grade and having these these kind of wicked river trips, but also I think there's a lot to be said for for lower grade rivers on international trips and kind of chilling out and taking taking that time to kind of reflect on where you are.
2: I suppose that's the joy about myself and Kyle being a little bit younger than you two. And <laughs> there's there's still there's still time. As much as we're really eager to go out and paddle in all these are you saying there's no
1: time for us. That's brutal. <laughs> i'm 29 and apparently it's too
2: late <laughs> i'm not saying it's too late i'm just saying there is a little bit more time there's a bit, a bit more freedom right now yeah hopefully it can be a, a case that there's many more adventures to come who knows when hopefully soon
1: well that was that uh, we did actually say goodbye to the lads we we carried on chatting about kind of uh, all things boating afterwards but it was a lot more of a kind of a two-way conversation um, and it was all information that frankly if they'd listened to all the previous episodes they'd probably have known so that shows how much our guests listen to the podcast um really interesting lads they really like the first episode where i felt properly old um but really cool to kind of uh, chat to some younger boaters who are kind of pushing pushing their boundaries and um, if you want to check out more of what they're doing uh, jamie is jamming his cam on insta um, and kyle is kr.kyleroger on instagram um, we'll put those links into the uh, show notes also kyle obviously has his youtube channel that he mentioned about 15 times throughout the episode so apparently you've got to go and check that out
0: yeah if you've not already found us we're still at team paddlemore on all the social media search paddle more on youtube you'll find our youtube channel it's much better than kyle's um and also worth joining the paddle more community page on facebook where we can have a bit more of a two-way conversation with us um and it's lovely to see what everyone's up to and share a little bit of paddle and love now that everyone's starting to get back out and play on the water um yeah we've got patreon as jamie mentioned you can actually watch this podcast and see our faces and um
1: if you really have nothing better to do with your time
0: yeah yeah but it also helps us because we get a little bit of money from it and we can invest in better better equipment to make the podcast better for us for you for anyone that any anyone else that listens um yeah we'll see you next week Bye-bye. bye bye Thank you.